Well, Thursday was not the most favorite day for those of us with rear-wheel drive vehicles. I have a rear-wheel drive vehicle, and it was not, a, it was not a, my favorite day of the week. It started as I was backing down the driveway. Evidently, Daniel Street is just not on the, you know, snow scraper's priority, you know, like Prospect or Springfield or those other main streets. I mean, I don't know why, but it's not. So I backed out into six inches of snow on Daniel Street, and then... Uh, and then I, I, I try, was trying to muscle my way through, and Dan, you know, Daniel then heads into Prospect, and so I'm going east on Daniel to get to Prospect, and there's kind of an incline as, you know, as you kind of turn on to Prospect, and it was right at that incline that my rear-wheel drive kind of, did I tell you I have a rear-wheel drive vehicle, Janice? And so it just kind of stuck there, and, and, you know, so you kind of rock back, you know, you put it in reverse, and you go back, and then you put it forward to kind of lunge forward and get the momentum to kind of get over that incline, but at the same time, there's oncoming traffic, so so, you know, it could get messy if the timing's bad. It's all about good timing. And, and I was back, and then this, 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 this individual in, a, in one of those all-wheel drive vehicles, you know, kind of came up behind me, and so I was kind of feeling rushed, you know. And, and, and so then I finally then kind of backed out into the other side of Daniel Street so that this all-wheel drive vehicle could get on on to prospect. And so, well, then I got stuck. And I was going up and back and up and back and forward and drive and reverse. And then then I really really got myself in a pickle. I was actually almost like, 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 like horizontal across the street, you know. And and that's when I was really getting frustrated. And then my neighbors came, and they finally, we finally said, look, I'm just, just, just can, can we get the car back so I can at least go in reverse? Because at least it's downhill there. So I went downhill west on Daniel to Willis and then got out and went to Prospect, and I was okay. And then I pulled up to the, to the, to the church parking lot, and, and, and evidently on, on, our, on our snow removal people at 8 55 in the morning we're not much of a priority to them on Thursday so so when I got in and slithered around here and got hunkered down and and then was frustrated and then thought I'd write a sermon and then (laughs) and then I got hungry at noon and so I wanted some wonton soup I wanted I wanted my wonton soup because that's Kind of, that's my routine. I kind of get wonton soup, and and so, and I wanted it, and it was on Thursday. So I got in my car, and and again, you know, because in those hours that I was, you know, preparing this holy sermon, I could not get out of where my spot was, and I was going and drive and reverse and drive and reverse. Took me five minutes just to just to leave just my spot, and then I was trying to snake my way back through, and, and I, of course I didn't ask anybody in the office for their help, because I'm a guy, so I go, so I get up to the, I get up to the driveway here to Windsor Road, getting ready to, and it was very strangely familiar to my Daniel and Prospect experience, because I was pretty much stuck, because I had to stop, because there was oncoming traffic, and so when I stopped, I was stuck, and I went forward and reverse and forward and reverse, and sure enough, I started kind of sliding just like I did earlier. I thought, is this Groundhog's Day or what? I mean, am I experiencing this? And then, so, and I'm really getting frustrated. 
frustrated. And then about that time, one of you church members drives by in your, in your satanic infested SUV. And, you know, and, you, know you kind of drive by and, and I'm getting frustrated and you drive by and I go, oh, hi, how are you? God bless you. You know, and... And then finally I get back on Windsor and uh, go, all that for a bowl of soup. <laughs> and then I get back to the office and, and I'm, I'm, you know, ha- having this soup, what's left. And then I get to the fortune cookie, okay? And this was, this was it. This was my fortune for Thursday. <laughs> this was great. You could make a name for yourself in the field of medicine. Oh, great. Now you tell me. <laughs> Okay, I'm 48, all right? I've got the wrong doctrine. This is not a good day. Terrible, awful, no good, very bad day. Thank you very much. Oh, you know, and I just, I just, you know, I was just going, okay, what, what is this? You know, just, you know. Curse Illinois and curse rear wheel drive and, and, and just, and, 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 and curse all wheel drive and just, you know, and now, did God cause that? Did, 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 did God cause that? Was he, was he tempting me? Was he, was he trying to string me out just to see how far I'd go till I'd snap? Huh? Was that? What was he doing? What's going on there? Sometimes the situation is more serious than uh, Snow. You're in a work team, and it's late, and you have to be at the office because your boss is being your boss, and you don't deserve to have to stay late, but you've got to along with others because you've got to get this project done, and you're all working late. You can't escape it, and now it's time for a little bit of coffee break, and, and, and you happen to enjoy working with some of your coworkers, and, and, and one of them, you start having a conversation there in the break room, and, and this particular person is, is of the opposite sex, and you begin to enjoy the talking and sharing and communicating, and then all of a sudden, and, and there, you know, there's, this, there's just this look, and there's this attraction, and suddenly this trial has become a temptation. Did God cause that? Did he do that? Was he, was he tempting you, you know, to have that affair? Or it's term paper time in grad school, and the term paper's due, and you've got to get the paper in when it's due because the professor doesn't accept late work. You've got to get it in. That's the deal. And, and, but you've been working full time. And you're trying to support your family. And now you're also going to school part-time. And, you know, you're running out of time. And the clock is ticking. And you got to get this paper done because it's due. And, and then all of a sudden you come upon some material and, you, you know, you, you realize that, you know, just in, with, with your mouse, you could finish this paper with a cut and paste. You could. You could just, and all of a sudden, the trial of the final assignment has become a temptation to cheat. Where did that come from? Did God cause that? Did he do that? 
When trials become temptations, you know, where does that temptation come from? Where's the source? What's the starting point? That's what I want to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of James, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 21, and just to kind of catch you up to where we are in James 1, 13 to 21, it's on page 854 of your church Bibles, page 854 of your church Bibles. James, a a pastor in the, the church of Jerusalem, who is writing to his congregation who had to be scattered because of persecution. He writes to the 12 tribes scattered. He's talking to Christians of predominantly Hebrew ethnicity, and so he's calling them the 12 tribes, using a word picture to indicate that, you know, to appreciate their Hebrew ethnicity, but to also call attention to the fact that in Christ they are the true Israel, and they are scattered all, they can't can't have this. They can't have this, because they're scattered across the empire, and they're going through trials and James is encouraging them. And in verse 13, he answers this question about when trials become temptations. Let's pick it up there. He says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire." He is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, as we look through these verses this morning, in James 1, 13 to 21, I, I want to just pay attention to two questions. And the first question is, I've already mentioned it, it's the question, you know, where does temptation come from? What's its source? What's its starting point, its origin? Where does temptation come from, the source? And then secondly, how can we overcome it? What's the strategy, all right? The source of temptation, the strategy for overcoming. That's where we're going as we go through these verses. Now, when James introduces us to this answer to this first question regarding the, the, the source of temptation, did you notice in verse 13 he says, when tempted, not if, when. Temptation's a given. It does not matter who you are, how old you are, how educated you are, how much money you make, this side of heaven, temptation happens. If you're poor, you're going to be tempted to be envious or jealous or to cheat or steal for money. If you're you're rich, 
You're going to be tempted uh, to be arrogant, to think, well, you know, the reason why I have so much is because I think I'm better than other people. I'm smarter than other people. I think I'm a cut above. That's why I'm rich. That's why I'm smart. I mean, it doesn't matter. Poor or rich, temptation is going to happen. I think that's what's be- partly what's behind Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, where the proverb writer prays, God, give, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Just just give me what I need. Don't give me too much. Verse 9, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? See, that's the temptation for someone with, with plenty. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So, you know, sometimes we think if only our circumstances would change, then we, you know, then we wouldn't have the struggles and temptations and experiences uh, that, you know, that we're facing right now. And you know what? If your circumstances changed, you wouldn't. You'd have something else. You would. Uh, uh, When Windsor Road was about a fourth of the size that it is now, I I, I often wonder, I confess, I wonder what would it be like, you know, the, the, should the Lord give us you know, more people, more talent, more resources, and, and, and well, you know, now I know. We have, we have different problems now. <laughs> different struggles, different challenges, and different temptations, you see. When tempted, James says, And verse 13 makes it quite clear that God is never the source of temptation, ever. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil. God God never, ever has any intention for us to do evil or to lean toward evil, ever. It, It has never occurred to God, ever, to bait us to sin, ever. I mean, God does not do sting operations, okay? And, and did you notice in these verses, for that matter, James doesn't even pen it on Satan, does he? Now, yes, the Bible calls Satan the tempter, but James does not go for the devil-made-me-do-it theory. Doesn't. No, no. God may allow trials and tests but he never causes temptation any more than a professor causes a student to make an F because the student chose to cheat on an exam. See, the, 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 the test may have been the occasion in which the student was tempted, but that test did not cause the temptation. Do you see the difference, huh? Do you see, understand? And James says that we're tempted when by our own evil desire. Now, the New International Version there in your church Bible is the New International Version. That version says evil desire. Actually, that's an interpretation, all right? The, 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 the word, kind of just the, the word itself is a word that means strong desire, strong desire. Uh, uh, um, it's a... It's an epithumia desire. That's what it is. Epi. What? what is that? Well, okay, take a look at this chart here. When there's an earthquake, all right, there is what's called the what? The epicenter. 
That's the, that's, the, that's the strongest part of the earthquake right there. That's kind of ground zero where the earthquake is, the, the epicenter. And what James is saying is that when, when we are tempted, we are tempted by our own epi-desire, an over-desire. Do you understand what James is telling us about the nature of sin? Sin is not merely desiring bad things, but desiring things badly. Something deep inside of us, something selfish uh, uh, rises to the surface. That's something which desires to shortcut what God desires. And that's something that comes from our own sense of self-gratification and self-pleasure. And notice that James says, but each one is tempted when by his own over-desire. When by his own epi-desire, one's own, meaning what tempts you may not tempt me and vice versa. So, so enough of this, you know, you know, looking down on other people is less spiritual because of the temptation with which they struggle. Well, hey, that person doesn't struggle with your issues. We have our own, one's own epi-desire. Every person experiences temptation. Rich, poor, young, old, prince, pauper, royal, commoner. And temptation itself is not sin. Temptation, temptation does not equal disobedience. Temptation simply means that I'm at a fork in the road. Temptation means I've got a decision to make. Am I going to entertain this epi-desire? Am I going to play with it? Am I going to let it bring me out into the open? Huh? Kind of tucked away, nestled in the woods, and there is this epi-desire out there, and I see it, and, you know, I'm just kind of, kind of licking my chops. I want to go out, I want to go out and get, get that thing. It's like, it's like I'm an animal wanting to go out for the bait. That's actually what James has in mind when he says, when by his own epi-desire, he is dragged away and enticed. That's a, that's a hunting and a fishing term. And at that point, when I make the decision to go out into the open and go after it, at that point, it becomes a fatal attraction. A fatal attraction. And, and in verse 15, James then just switches metaphors. Here he's talking hunting and fishing and you know, trapping and, and all that. Now he just switches metaphors on us in verse, in verse 15. And, and the, the metaphor, the word picture is... It's rather graphic and rather sexual because the images are of conception and pregnancy and childbirth. And, you know, we have a ministry here at Windsor Road um, called Empty Arms, and you see that in the bulletin, and it's a support group for parents who have lost young children, uh, toddlers, some toddlers, some as infants through miscarriage. And so, you know, I... I want to walk gently here in the next few minutes. And we need to let these verses do the talking. Because what James is saying is that when, when this epi-desire, when this epi-lust conceives, it gives birth to sin. It gives birth. And so the image is this, this child that's going to be born that carries, and, and that, that carries the birth has this expectancy and this hope and this anticipation and this optimism. And then there's this birth and, and then there's a delivery and, and it's sin. And, 
And then, then notice, keep, keep following along as James talks to us. It gives birth to sin. But then sin begins to grow. You know, it's a new baby, cuddly and, 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 and sweet and loving and delightful. But then this baby grows up. And then this baby then fathers a child. And the news of that child's birth fills all with hope and expectation and optimism and anticipation. And then there's this due date that's scheduled. And, and then on the due date in the day, in the first century day, you know, before ultrasound, and, and whatnot, then the, there's this due date, there's this time to deliver the baby, and that is when the shocking news occurs. The child is stillborn. It's death. That's how graphic it is. And James says that's what happens when we choose to follow a passionate lust, an epi lust. It will lead to death. That's what happens, and it, it and it came from within. It came from within. And, and that's, what happened. that's what happens when we follow our hearts. Listen to me. Listen to me. Following your heart. Scripture says that follow, following your heart is not the path to authenticity. It's the path to death. The prophet Jeremiah said such in Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? And that's why you've heard me say before, and I'll say it again. You never find in sin what you go in sin to find, ever. You don't. It started out as this promise of this beautiful, healthy baby, and, there's, and what's born is a coffin. That's what's born. It's death. Um, once a quarter here at Windsor, we have a class called Starting Point, and it's kind of a where's this church family going class. And the next one is uh, last Sunday this month, January 31st. It's a one-time class, 4.30 to 8.30, and um, we meet the staff. We talk about where we're going as a church family, how to get involved. And, uh, but the very first session of that class, I talk about the gospel, and, uh, and those of you who've been in that class know that I always talk about Alice Pike. Alice Pike. Alice Pike was the woman who tried to pay for her Walmart purchases with a $1 million bill. Now, people who hear about this story go, there, there isn't really a $1 million bill, is there? That's the first question they ask. And the second question is, what was she thinking? Well, first question. No, there's not. The treasury does not make a banknote with that many zeros. Uh, and so, rest assured, thanks to Alice, nobody's going to con us on a million-dollar note now. Question number two, I don't know what she was thinking. <laughs> I mean, she goes to the register with, with $1,675 worth of stuff. The amazing thing is that she expected change. Now, I mean, that's a lot of change. Did she really expect the cashier would hand over $998,000? I mean, did she envision the cashier on the loudspeaker going, I need some 10s and 20s on aisle 5 right now? Is that what she was thinking? Did she bring a vehicle large enough for her purchases and the change? See? And someone wrote... Alice helps remind us of the irrationality of sin. Sin doesn't make sense. We lie and expect good results. 
We overindulge in food or alcohol or entertainment and expect to feel better. We take what isn't ours and expect satisfaction. We refuse to resist temptation and then we expect peace. We act selfishly and expect stronger relationships. We ignore repentance and expect forgiveness. We hand over a fake and expect change. The heart is deceitful above all things. And the the deception is, see, the deception is we hear about the stories of, of fallen politicians or sports figures or celebrities and we think what were they thinking they they I would never do that see that's the that's the deception that we wouldn't do that that we wouldn't do that that we're smarter and Jeremiah says I'm not so sure the heart is deceitful do you hear what do you hear what James is saying I am the source of my temptations <laughs> I am my own worst enemy I'm trapped I am the source I am the problem, okay? Now what? Now what? Oh, well, this is where we get to the good news. I am, I am the problem. God is the solution. God is the strategy. God is my best strategy to overcome temptation. And that, that's why James says in verse 16, that's why he says, don't be deceived, Don't be deceived. Randy, don't be deceived. God is your best strategy. So when tempted, you need to remember and keep in mind that God is good. He's not the author of temptation. He doesn't tempt. It doesn't matter what your temptation is. It didn't come from God. God is is not like the constellations that change Verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. James lived in a culture that believed that your life was contingent on certain movements of the stars and and the horoscope and the constellations. James refutes this and he says, don't pay attention to the stars. Look to the one who made the stars. He is good. God is always good. God is completely good. God is only good. And he always has our good in mind no matter what. And so therefore, when you are tempted, because he is always good, Randy, what you need to do is you need to go to God and ask him to show you what that good is. Which is why verse 19 says, my dear brothers, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Randy, you need to be open to where God is taking you with what you're struggling. You need to pray for wisdom. You need to ask for God's help. And you need to to look to God, and you need to look to what's inside. You need to ask, what is this epi-desire inside of me that wants to short circuit what God wants to do. You need to name it and identify it and then get rid of it. Look at verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. This is, you may be tempted, but this is not out of your control. Sin is not inevitable in your situation. James, in chapter one, he's offering two paths here. And on one path, there's this trial. And this trial leads to this testing. 
And this testing leads to this persevering. And this persevering leads to that which is mature and complete. And that, that which is mature and complete leads to lacking nothing. And that leads to the crown of life. That's one path. And then there's another path. And the path is this epi desire that, is this, that, that, that then surfaces in this temptation and leads to sin and then leads to death. Which is it? Randy, which is it? Which path? Are you going to choose the path to life or are you going to choose the path to death? What's it going to be? You have a choice. You have a choice. And, and, and you know, furthermore, James teaches us that, you know, just say no is, is not, is not going to cut it. It's not. I mean, it's, it says get rid of, uh, but, I mean, you know, a lot of us kind of view uh, dealing with temptation a, a lot like, you know, Odysseus in the Odyssey, where, you know, remember that part of the story where he's strapped to the mast, he asks his sailing crew to, to strap him to the mast as they're going to sail by the song of the sirens, these, these, these ladybird-like figures that, 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 that uh, uh, sang these, these songs that turned these sailors into just insane and caused their death or crashing on the shore and, and Odysseus wanted to he wanted to hear the song without crashing so he strapped me to the mast and, and, and no matter what happens you know you, sailors you plug your ears with wax and you just keep rowing and no matter what I say and of course sure enough he begged them to let him go and, and he went by that, you know what that's not going to work <laughs> it just, it's just not going to work alright not for the long haul what will work? James tells us, look, get rid of, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. Do you hear what James is saying? When, when you are tempted with lust, you need a better lust. You need a better lust. That's what you need. You need a purer lust. You need a higher lust. Hey, most of our, most of our lusting is just cheap and cut rate. It really is. You need, a, you, need a, you need a higher class lust. That's what you need. You do. Yeah. One pastor put it this way. He said, the best way of casting out an impure affection is to admit a pure one. And by the love of what is good to expel the love of what is evil. The heart must have something to cling to. We know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our heart than to keep our hearts in the love of God. Do you hear what he's saying? You want to get the love of the world out of your heart, you need, to, you need in your heart the love of God. And there is no greater display of God's love than the cross. He, that's, see, that's why James says he chose to give us new birth through the word of truth verse 18. The word of truth. That's the gospel friends. That's that's Jesus crucified, buried, resurrected. And it's the gospel that, that helps us replace the filth and accepting it, which will save us, James says. Which are save us. 
A few years ago in our men's Bible study class that I taught, um, we, I mean, we talked about this very thing about temptation and about substituting, getting, getting a better desire in our hearts. And uh, I just want to share a, a section of that lesson. It's a quote uh, from Pastor John Piper that talks exactly about this issue. Listen to what he says. When you are enticed, brothers, brothers, when you are enticed sexually, do you fight? How do you do that? For example, have you ever in the first five seconds of temptation demanded of your mind that it look steadfastly at the crucified form of Jesus Christ? Picture this. You've just seen a peekaboo blouse inviting further fantasy. Now you have five seconds. You've got five seconds. You might say, no, get out of my mind. God help me. Well, that's a good start, but but you must demand of your mind to fix its gaze on Christ on the cross. Use all your fantasizing power to see his lacerated back. 39 lashes left little flesh intact. He heaves with his breath up and down against the rough vertical beam of the cross. Each breath puts splinters into the lacerations. The Lord Jesus gasps from time to time. He screams out with intolerable pain. He tries to pull away from the wood and the massive spokes through his wrist rip into the nerve endings and he screams again with agony and pushes up with his feet to give some relief to his wrists. But the bones and nerves in his pierced feet crush against each other with anguish. And he screams again. There is no relief. His throat is raw from screaming and thirst. He loses his breath. He thinks he is suffocating. Suddenly his body involuntarily gasps for air. And all the injuries unite in pain, in torment. He forgets about the crown of two-inch thorns and throws his head back in desperation, only to hit one of the thorns perpendicular against the crossbeam and drive it a half an inch into his skull. His voice reaches a soprano pitch of pain and sobs break over his pain-wracked body as every cry brings more and more pain. And then Piper writes, now I'm not thinking about that blouse anymore. Because I'm at Calvary. These two images are not compatible. They're not. And if you will use the muscle of your brain to violently pursue with the muscle of your mind images of Christ crucified with the same creative energy that you use to pursue sexual fantasies. You kill them. You will kill them. But it has to start in the first five seconds. And you must persevere. God's the solution. The, the best way of casting out an impure affection is to admit a pure one. The heart must have something to cling to. And we know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our heart than to keep our hearts in the love of God. And see, James wrote all this to a Christian community, to, a, to his church family. This, this letter was sent with the intention that those who 
heard it, would hear it in a family setting, a community setting, so that together we would watch out for each other. And together we would encourage one another during our trials. And together we would remind each other that, that our, that our over-desires, that's what brings temptation into our lives, not God. And that together we would teach and hear that God is good and loving and that he wants only what will lead to a rich and full and mature, complete life. Together we would be quick to listen for his wisdom and together we would lust after the cross so that together we might see the most beautiful person, Jesus, the one whom the cross could not hold. Oh yes, I'm the problem, but Jesus is the solution. And now you know why we take communion each week. Why don't we? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we are not left alone to become slaves of our hearts, our deceitful, sick hearts. Thank you. Thank you that you did not leave us alone. Thank you that you sent your son to rescue us, to take us out of the kingdom of darkness and sickness and deception and plant us into your kingdom so that by your grace and your mercy and your purity, we might be your heirs. Jesus, your face is the most beautiful, and we love you. In your name, amen.